Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Lloyd Newcastle Mini and BMW. For the latest offers and to browse their used car stock, go to lloydmotorgroup.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, today joined by Chris Woff, Mark Douglas and a special guest in the Times, George Culkin. Thank you very much for coming in, George. Uh, how have your weekends been? All had a good weekend? George is probably a little bit more interesting than mine, I think. Um, he's ran a half marathon. Yes, very badly. Um, that was the first one of the year. Um, down in London by the same people who organised the, the London Marathon, so it was kind of quite interesting to do that. And I'd... Went to see Spurs Huddersfield the day before. Fantastic. And you've come into the new Chronicle offices to talk about Newcastle United, which is always exciting. We'll start with uh, Saturday's result against Liverpool. Um, 2-0 Liverpool Newcastle. Despite the result, played all right. But obviously Liverpool's class showed through. Uh, we'll start with you, Chris. Obviously you were down there. What did you make of the performance? I think it was a game where, if you you look at it in terms of what Newcastle did in a productive sense, there, there was very little, other than more Diomi's chance just before half time. But in terms of the context of the game, if you put it in the season as a whole, and obviously the way the goal difference is, I think Newcastle, to a certain extent, it's job done. You don't want to lose any game, but some teams have gone to Anfield and really been turned over. West Ham had shipped four the week before, and once Newcastle fell behind, the, the result was only going one way. That held them out well for 40 minutes, but. Are Newcastle good enough to really be able to hold teams like Man City and Liverpool out for a full 90? I'm not sure they are. I think to expect a team not to make a single mistake is unlikely, and then you, you've relied on Liverpool missing chances. And when you've got Mo Salah in that sort of form, he isn't likely to, to, to miss those opportunities. So I think overall, it wasn't a great game to watch from a Newcastle point of view, but I don't think it was terrible by any stretch, and it's it all focus now shifts to Saturday. And they've protected that goal difference slightly, which really is going to be important. I think it could come down to that come the end of the season. Mark, do you think that was the aim from the moment go against Liverpool? Was thinking about the goal difference rather than thinking we can get three no, points? No, uh, no. I think there was a, a genuine attempt to go and win the game in a way that Rafa thinks that he can win matches with this Newcastle team by being quite. I think his favourite word's compact, isn't it? He really likes his teams to be compact suppress the space you could see that Liverpool were finding it really difficult to play um, and, and you know we talk about mistakes costing them but it didn't really because Jamal Lascelles made a mistake which wasn't which they didn't pay for and you just thought if they could maybe get through to half time that affects the, the way that the whole game goes but it's going to be it's really difficult for Newcastle playing games like that because they don't have the quality and then when John Joe Shelby's out I think if they'd have had Shelby Kennedy and Slimani he were the three players really I think who can make a difference in the in the Newcastle squad based on nothing with Slimani because I've not seen him play for Newcastle yet but if they'd had them maybe they could have affected the result but um, yeah a bit depressing really to think that that's the kind of limit of Newcastle's ambition but um, that's where we are this season and um, the next two home games are the, the focus really um, and the, the onus will be on them to do better in this. I, th- I think that's why that result will hurt Rafa Benitez more than 
more than most, more than any maybe this season because you know, hear, hear, hearing both of you, Mark and Chris, talk about that, it's like routine, it's expected, it's, and you know, I think the thing he 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 wants or he wanted more than anything was to go back to clubs where he used to be manager, particularly Anfield, where he's still venerated and and somewhere that's obviously very very important to him to go back and compete, and that's the word that he that's another word he uses all the time, compete, and I think the fact that Newcastle, you know, it felt so routine that that defeat that I think I think he will be suffering. Um, I think that he'll be suffering this week and you know maybe that's something we can come on to talk about sort of the long term at Newcastle and his position at, at the club and all that kind of thing um, obviously it is the next two games that, or you know it's, it's, it's what happens next that's the most important thing but um, I think that will be I think that will be a, a result and a performance which will which will hurt him yeah, I mean I, you've mentioned like these long term future there do you think that the alarm bells would have been ringing after Saturday I think well is this as far as I'm going to get at Newcastle you know I think that's always been the concern for for, for me and for and for others I mean it's I mean I can also understand why people might be listening to this rolling their eyes because we've had this sort of debate at the end of every season um, about about his future he's under contract we know he's under contract for another year but um, something that I've kind of said a lot he joined a club that he saw in terms of stature and history and potential to you know to do something, and I don't think the club have behaved like have behaved in the way that he he hoped they might. I think they still behave like a small club. So it's more to do with what options are available in the summer. I don't for a minute think he's actively looking for a way out, um, and I do genuinely believe that he loves the club and he and most importantly loves the loves the support the supporters and and the kind of backing he's had. But this isn't what he was made to do this isn't what he should be doing at this point in his career um, and you know I, I think it sort of di- diminishes him I don't think I don't mean that in terms of diminishes him as a manager it's just that he's used to working at the Champions League level he's used to working at the very top of the game and he at the moment he's scrapping around for results and whilst I'm very very pleased he's doing that with Newcastle, because the you know the alternative is too painful to to sort of think about. You know, I kind of feel sorry for him. I was just going to say, I wrote after the game basically what George said in terms of a lot of people will look at it as a sort of negative game plan on Saturday, but Rafa Benitez is working in the context of what he has now, and for him, the end will justify the means this season. Then next year, he doesn't want to be going back to Anfield no. to Stamford Bridge and having to put put out a team like that. He spoke last summer about being able to compete, as George mentioned. He didn't get the strength of player he wanted to bring in. He didn't get to augment the squad how he wanted. And so he isn't able to, doesn't see that he has the, the capability to be able to compete at that level. And that is what is so frustrating for him. And he, Long term, I can't see why he would stand for that. And there needs to be, in the summer, at least the promise of the TV money for him to at least think, right, I can go and have a go at places like this next season rather than almost have to, to play it the way that they did at, at Anfield. And how do you think Mike Ashley would have viewed Saturday's game? Do you think he would have looked upon it and so on? I don't think he'd have cared. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the essential problem of Newcastle United is that Mike Ashley is not on the touchline. He does, he's not in the stands. He doesn't, he doesn't care about the prestige of Newcastle United. Um, I mean, I was I was kind of looking. This is how sad I am. Um, there's a uh, on Transfer Marked the the website. 
there is a all-time Premier League table. It's Premier League era table. Newcastle United are ninth in that Premier League uh, table. They have been top of the Premier League for 56 weeks in their in the entire from 1992. There's only three or four, I think, teams that have been top of the Premier League longer than Newcastle United, um, and all four of those have won the title. I think Spurs have been top of three or four weeks. All of those weeks have come pre prior to Mike Ashley being in charge. They are, I would say, probably in the Mike Ashley era, it, they would be way further down. And what I think is really frustrating is you You're had. Right, you are sad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, really sad. And what, what I find, what I find, like really so. George has got me out, and I, I fully admit that it was my uh, like that. That is my weekend. Um, George was out running. Chris was at the game. I was uh, checking transfer mark. Uh, but I think what is really frustrating is that. You know, this is we are now to the point where Newcastle United have been so diminished as a football club that you know we don't expect they've got Chelsea coming up. They've got uh, they go to Tottenham. They're not going to beat Tottenham. They will try and go and probably have damage limitation at Tottenham as well. But that's not what Newcastle United should be. And I think what for, what it will be frustrating for Rafa Benitez is that not only can he see what Newcastle United is, but he knows, and it's it's kind of. I think a little bit being brushed over sometimes this season by a lot of people who've said, oh, Rafa's showing what his philosophy is, he's really negative, this, that and the other. And you get in some Newcastle fans saying that as well, why isn't he going for it more? Rafa decided at the start of the season, it was a really difficult decision, I think, for him in a way to stick with Newcastle United, despite the fact that he knew what he was getting um, from the, from the, in terms of the transfer budget, it wasn't enough. But he knew that he would be judged effectively on what he does at Newcastle United this season. And one of the things is people are now saying, oh, well, he's brought these players in. Why is he saying they're not good enough? No, he, he's brought them in because he needed bodies. He's brought, and we've gone through all this like a lot, but I just think what's frustrating and what uh, is the idea of what Newcastle United has become. And really, there's only Rafa Benitez at Newcastle United now who is world-class. There's nobody else. And that's why, and that's why it was so, imp- I mean, that's why it was such a, amazing moment when he came to the club because we'd been trained we'd all been you know told for so long by whether it's by Alan Pardew Steve McLaren whatever but and you know the the bigger voice coming from above that Newcastle can't compete and that Newcastle effectively is a small club can't compete with Southampton Swansea blah 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 all those things that got got trotted out and what Rafa did was remind us that Theoretically, Newcastle is a big club, and it was very old-fashioned because he talked about the number of people that came into the stadium. Whereas, really, that isn't that isn't how you define a big club anymore. It's actually about attitudes. So Bournemouth can sort of be a bigger club than Newcastle if they spend more money and if they finish higher up the Premier League. But he talked about it in this in this almost romanticised way about history and size and the number of and that persuaded people to kind of look up again and to have ambition about their football club and you know my goodness why shouldn't they mm. and you know why shouldn't they and why shouldn't they want better and why shouldn't they want a club that sort of drives on and powers on and tries to compete for things and tries to win trophies and you know that's that's how he thought of the club but i mean to repeat what i said earlier the problem is is that the club have reverted to type and if newcastle feel like a big club it's because of him and him being there, and the number of people that come through the door, but they behave like a small club, mm. you know. And in the last three windows, they've behaved like a small club. I think that's that. That's the, the for me is even bigger frustration is that, that Rafa, and I, and I think the really the perception that's hurt 
Rafa's image and reputation a little bit more than anything is that he's incredibly demanding because that is, I think, a false perception because what he wanted from Newcastle this summer and in January as well was not necessarily mega bucks. He wanted things to be done quickly and done properly. Newcastle United could be safe by now if they'd have brought in a striker in January, early in the window, who was fit. Because you could see, you've seen with... I mean, Kennedy's not a world-beater, but he's given Newcastle a different dimension. Dubravka um, is not the best goalkeeper in, in England, but he's come in and it's changed the way that Newcastle play. They'd have had a striker, they'd have had him maybe in for the Brighton game, possibly even in for Swansea, whatever, if they'd had things lined up as quickly as Rafa wanted to do them. They could have done it. It's not as if he's asking for the world. And I think that's where the frustration of Saturday comes because, you know, look, the Saturday, the team on Saturday, and this is not meant to offend the players who were there because it's not to say that they're not good players in their own right but that was not a team that had anything about it in a, from a Premier League perspective there was nobody in there who could cause problems to Liverpool the, you know they were organised they were nice compact as Rafa would say but they didn't have anything in there and Newcastle, the steady decline of Newcastle United under Mike Ashley has kind of accelerated in the last year because they, they're just standing still um, and and that's and th- I think it's games like Liverpool that really make you realise how how much they have declined because they they can't go there and no. we don't ex- nobody expects them to do anything at any of these any team in the top ten Newcastle haven't taken any points off any team in the top ten away from home this season it's small club mentality that George was talking about was shown last summer when. As soon as Newcastle promoted, Rafa Benitez was thinking, with a few changes, we can be top 10. Mike yeah. Ashley offered him 17th place there and then, he would have taken it. And that's basically the situation they're in. And now Rafa, now 17th place would be a, an achievement this season because of the position yeah, he said that he's been left in. And he, he said he, it was a massive he, achievement. He's right because of the position he's been left in, but for him, what he thought they could, where he thought they could have been, because it, it's only about seven, eight points, and you jump eight places. Yeah. We only needed a couple of players, and they would have been comfortably mid-table and nowhere near the position. And, and the, whole, the whole thing about the keeper, I know, is incredibly tiresome for us now. But you know that that whole thing about he wanted to get a, t- a keeper last summer, and the club come back to him and say, "But we've already got, you know, you've mm-hmm. already got four keepers. What, what, what you what you're doing?" And they so they didn't back his they didn't back his judgment at that point. And then when Dubravka comes in and play, Newcastle start playing in a different way, you actually sort of think, okay, well now I now I understand the you know so Newcastle could have been playing this season in a completely different way. They could have had that keeper there that plays in the way that he wants to play, and then the whole thing fans out from there. But what actually has happened is the op- is the opposite. They failed to get one player. They failed to get another player, and then from the rest of the window and the rest of this season, they're play- they're playing catch up. So in January. You know, January they were playing catch up from playing catch up. Mm. You know, and you sort of see what happens on the last last sort of day of the window. They get Slomani, but Slomani, and you know, theoretically, Slomani is a good player. He is not someone that was at the top of the list at the start of the window, and kind of like you know, like West Brom and Storage, who obviously Newcastle were also after. You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a price to be paid for it. There's a consequence to it, and they were trying to clean up a mess they make they made in the summer but you know they realised didn't they with Slomani I think the biggest the biggest kind of the, the thing that will frustrate Rafa as much as anything is that they knew when it came down to it on that final day they knew that it was a big risk with Slomani because they knew he had an injury yeah. but they had literally nowhere else to yeah, go at that yeah, point yeah, yeah, yeah. and they and it was almost like I think they got they got panicked on the final day of like if we don't bring anybody in this whole thing will be they almost did that I think as a 
not sop to the fans because that's not right because obviously Slimani will play some games but they they almost had were forced into a corner and it, it's just that mentality I don't understand that mentality no. because you know that every point every place that you finish earns you a certain amount of money you know that staying in the Premier League has a massive impact and the idea of speculating to accumulate because the money was there because they bid for Jurgensen so they had 8 million or whatever it was there but they just don't they do things in a in the reverse of the way that normal football clubs seem to do them and um, and as long as that attitude per, um, persists and, and it has persisted for as long as Lee Charnley has been the managing director certainly I'm not blaming him but it's definitely been his era um, then you know they will they will struggle and this is now the fifth out of the last six seasons they've been in a Premier League relegation battle yeah, it's yeah. wearing for everybody isn't it it's wearing this, for the, the way we've started is actually this is quite it's quite it's not funny but um their last home game was Man U, wasn't it? Yeah, which was brilliant, which yeah. was wonderful, and it was, and so that was the last time I saw them, um, and that was, it was that was everything. You sort of come away from that thinking yeah. it's a big occasion. It's obviously it's a huge three points, but it's a big occasion against a big team, and Newcastle have actually given a glimpse of what they are and could be, and you know what could happen under Rafa if he gets the right sort of backing and how and. You know what a valuable day that was for all of us who were there because you do get that kind of emotional, you know, that emotional lift from it. But that's what he, you know, that's yeah. the Newcastle he wants to be managing. Mm. And and one of the nice things about that was that Newcastle did have a go that day. Yeah. So he, it's not the fact that he's going to play with, you know, eleven men behind the ball against every single good team they play. If he sees a weakness or if he sees a way of getting at teams, he'll do it. But mm. we've all arguably been writing and seeing the same thing since last January, and again we've gone through another window. We've, we've said it numerous times on podcasts over the past few weeks, months that they just keep making the same mistakes, and you just wonder what is Mike Ashley seeing that the rest of us aren't, or the rest of us that we're seeing that he's not. Yeah, I mean, the big frustration for me in January, other than the fact that they didn't do what they, they really needed to do, they, they did the bare minimum in the end, was I always think it gets lost in the January window that you've got games going on at the same time. You, you leave it until the final. Newcastle didn't beat Swansea and they didn't beat Burnley because they didn't have a striker who could put the ball in the back of the net. That signed a striker early, as Rafa Benitez wanted them to, as he gave the list in the middle of December. It wouldn't have been Slomani in the end because he wasn't available until the end and he obviously had the injury. But they would have had someone in the team who, and they may be two, three, four points better off than they are now and in a better position. And this is, I, I just, for whatever reason, the, the board have the way that they, well, I say board, there isn't really a board. Lee Charnley having to go through the layers of bureaucracy that he's got to go through above to then go through Mike Ashley, who, as much as he says, doesn't have any day to day involvement in the run of the football club. No big decisions happen, as we keep saying, unless he gives the say so for them to happen. And he, he didn't give Rafa Benitez what he wanted January 2017 he didn't last summer in terms of Rafa eventually came out and called him out in Dublin didn't he I think George was across there at the time um, just because he didn't see any movement happening and then same with, with January I mean we, we he didn't even know exactly how much money he was going to have to spend until the middle of January which is Mark said not how a football club it's should operate ridiculous. it was absolutely incredible where every single press conference me and George and, and the rest of the journalists would be sitting there Asking the questions, of, oh, do you know your budget yet? Oh no, but we, we haven't. We're having conversations. You can see, Benitez was having to hold himself back because he was as exasperated as anyone else. And so, not January just gone, but the 
January last year, and then in the summer, he wasted. I mean, I mean, oh. he. I mean, so in the summer, he he effectively wasted three months of his life. Mm. I mean, and I know that sounds sort of dramatic, but putting things in place, making calls, getting the, and he does all that, and the people around him do all that. They do the framework of deals, and so you know the thing with Jorgensen. Um, and obviously, goalposts can change in the middle of a transfer window. But the thing with Jorgensen, he does his homework. He goes back to Charlie and says, "Right, we can get this player for this amount of money," and then Newcastle bid half that amount of money. So, not to, not trying to say that clubs shouldn't get try and get value for money or or, or bargains or whatever, but no, the, there is a deal to be done at this price. So let's 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 do it. But and again, I think when you're talking about Rafa's medium-term future, long-term future. I think those things are... I mean, I've, I've had an interesting kind of 10 days or so because I've seen, I've seen other clubs at the bottom of the, of the division. I've seen Huddersfield twice. I've seen West Brom once. West Brom were a shambles, um, and I think they're gone. Huddersfield beat West Brom at West Brom and looked like a team. They were pretty hopeless at Spurs, on Saturday, but still looked like a team. But it did make me think that the one thing that, you know, you look at how brilliantly Brighton have done, um, and Huddersfield, the thing that they've got going for them is a similar thing to Newcastle in that they're a team, they're a good team, decent you know, decent players, but a good team. But the other thing is that they've only had one intent this season, and that is to stay up. That's the only thing that they've been bothered about. Being in the Premier League is a novelty for Huddersfield and a novelty for Brian. Obviously, less so for Newcastle for obvious reasons. But everybody at those clubs, are United, they're United clubs where the where Hutton and and Wagner are sort of the figureheads, but they're they're not the only people there that sort of talk and not the only people that represent the football club. Rafa has got the whole pressure of the city and the club on his shoulders, and. It's a club that is still diverging off into different directions, you know. So, it's, it's. I, I, I feeling. Say you feel sorry for a manager. It's not. It's not that I feel so sorry for Rafa. He probably wouldn't want it wouldn't that either anyway. But his task is so much more difficult than at other clubs because although Newcastle feels like a bigger club than Huddersfield and Brian, they they United clubs. You know, they're United clubs, they've got one mission this season, one agenda, and they're all behind the manager in trying to deliver it. And, what, and one thing that I think people have missed about, because people keep saying Brighton, Huddersfield, do better than Newcastle. Okay, I understand where people are coming from with that, but let's look at January. Huddersfield brought in Alex Pritchard, cost them 11 million, I think, or 12 million. He scored against Bournemouth in a game that basically changed their season round because they'd lost five games. He, he, against, was their, he was their man of the match at West Brom. He was and great. Really good. And so that's two games he's potentially turned. He's their big sign and they invested there. Brian brought in Lacanda, the fella. Lacardia. Lacardia, sorry, from PSV, was it? Yeah. And he scored. And they're suddenly starting scoring again. So both of those clubs and people say, oh, well, their teams aren't as good as Newcastle's. Okay, I accept what you're saying, man for man. Maybe you could make an argument that, that, that those teams are better. But you see those the, the impact of those players. There's nobody that Newcastle have been able to sign, or Rafa hasn't been given the money to sign a player who can make that impact. And, I mean, that Pritchard goal against Bournemouth, where, you know, and him playing that well against West Brom, has turned around Huddersfield season. Ditto with Brighton, because they were struggling before they brought those players, brought those players in in, um, in January. And you know those things do matter. 
Now just a quick message from our sponsors. Are you looking for a brand new or used Mini or BMW? Then look no further than Lloyd Newcastle. They have an impressive range of all the latest Mini and BMW models complete with the latest tech to keep you connected, entertained and safe on the roads. Such as the Mini Countryman, Mini's most spacious model, with optional all four four-wheel drive technology or BMW X-Drive, an intelligent all-wheel drive system offering a new dimension to driving enjoyment. With a whole range of optional features available, including head-up display, mini-connected, sat-nav, headed seats, parking sensors, stereo upgrades and more, you can really make your Mini or BMW your own. Or if you're looking for a used car to be proud of, they have over 600 approved used vehicles across the Lloyd Group, available with competitive finance packages. For the latest offers and to see their used car stock, visit www.lloydmotorgroup.com or why not just pop in, you can find them off Barrett Road just up from St James's Park. Lloyd Newcastle, the way it should be. Do you think it's a case that under Mike Ashley we know he had the joy in France with a car where you could go and get likes could buy for four and a half million in, in Debussy and so on, and times have changed now, the teams have caught up and yet maybe Mike Ashley's still stuck in that year where he thinks he can get a good player for a really low price and just doesn't fancy paying the, the going rate. Possibly to a certain extent, but I have to be honest, I don't know. I don't know what Mike Ashley thinks about these. He, he says he doesn't, isn't involved in the day-to-day run of it, and he isn't in the sense that these small decisions only ever creep up to him once money gets involved. And for whatever reason that it's talked about so often, but the the glass ceiling of the of the transfer record, which is now stood for since ninety uh, since two thousand and seven, uh, two thousand five. Sorry, for five seven, that just hasn't changed. Every other club's breaking it, other clubs are spending what Newcastle spend on Michael Owen on centre backs more so if you Bournemouth paying twenty million and, and Newcastle didn't have the money last year and, and I think that's where I, I do I do I don't feel sorry for Meg Ashley, certainly not, but in terms of last summer I realised that there were financial constraints to a certain extent. Newcastle ha- had kept a Premier League budget in the championship and that did drain resources. But as Mark said before, it wasn't about that Rafa Benitez wanted lots of money most of the deals he was looking at were loan deals or free transfers early on which he didn't get the likes of Tammy Abraham and Willie Caballero but for whatever reason he wasn't backed he was told he wasn't allowed a fourth goalkeeper the Tammy Abraham deal is stalled and, and maybe you could say in hindsight the way that he's played yeah that hasn't quite worked out still be Newcastle's top and, and I think that he would have improved under Rafa Benitez someone who would work with him and, and make him better and for whatever reason the direction the way the clubs run the takeover and the potential situation there has certainly affected things because Mike Ashley clearly doesn't want to invest any more money than he feels is necessary uh, I don't think he wants to, to, to allow the wage budget to balloon any more than nobody is and all these factors the, like the fact that Justin Barnes is there clearly to try and keep costs down all of these factors are contributing to what over the last couple of years certainly has been a failed transfer policy the, I mean the the, the one Redundant thing is asking a question that has why and Mike Ashley in it, yeah. you know. And I think I think we drive ourselves mad, you know, with that with that sort of with those questions because you can, you can't second guess him, and it's pointless. It's got to the stage where it's absolutely pointless. The thing that's that's clear is that he's not interested. He's not abs- he's, You know, he has no interest in the club beyond selling it or beyond the fact it's, it's not costing him a lot of money. And when I, when I say beyond selling it, it's not as if he's been a um, sort of cautious seller or a brilliant seller, considering he's allegedly tried to sell it three times and hasn't, hasn't succeeded yet. But there's no strategy there. I think the thing when you mention Graham Carr and the, and the 
and you know the French players and things like that. The, the interesting thing about the club then was that there was, an, there was a plan, there was a strategy, and um, in a certain sense it worked. It worked for a limited time, but the, the, the other side of it was that you know, Newcastle did eventually go down, and part of that was because although they found value in the transfer market, they didn't. They signed a lot of players that Alan Pardew would refer to in private as rascals, and the thing I the thing I really like about Newcastle this season is that they've got decent lads. And I know you can you can overplay these things, but I they've got they've got a, a much better team than the team that went down last time. They've got worse players though, and that is the sorry they've got less talent. Worse players is I mean. It, that sounds very harsh, but I don't think they're as talented mm. as the team that went down. But they've got a better group, they've got a better spirit, they've got better better human beings. Mm. And that's one reason why I can forgive quite a lot watching them. I wish they were better at football, but I know that they're kind of giving everything. And I know that if they, do, I know that if they lose, it's not because they won't have given 100% because... You know, nine times out of ten they do. You can see that Paul Dunn kind of collapsed on the pitch after the Man United game as soon as the whistle went. But with nine games to go, you know, a team effort and the commitment can only get you so far without the, the three points. Well, yeah, and I think the frustration for Newcastle really is that they probably could have been there. You know, they, they, they I think, like like George said, you can forgive it. I think what what was frustrating the last time they went down was that you could see. There were certain games where they did give up is probably the right the right yeah, word, yeah. and this team doesn't give up. You know, Saturday, I think that would have been the kind of game under Pardew where they maybe would have lost four, three, four. Newcastle, you could see that it's still they were still covering the ground. They were still working really hard on Saturday because they know that more every, ground than any other team on Saturday. There you go. I mean that that tells you a lot. Any other team in, in any the, other game in the Premier League? Yeah. Really. Which, which I think is really interesting because the game was gone after 40 minutes, really. Well, it wasn't actually gone after 40 minutes because Modami nearly, nearly scored. But when they considered the second goal, the game was gone. And it was very similar when they went to Man City. The game was effectively gone when they went 2-0 down. But they, they kept working hard. And the, the one thing that gives me a, some hope, really, about this season, as opposed to the 2015-2016 season, is 2015-16, when Rafa came in, they were losing games. They were in a, a mode of losing matches, and they were in a they had that losing mentality about yeah. them. They haven't lost that many games since their long losing losing streak. They've lost to uh, Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool. They're the three teams they've lost to. They they're not lo- they're not winning a lot of games, but they're not losing a lot of games either. They're picking up points, and it feels like they know they're in a dogfight. 2015-2016, it felt like they. They kind of thought at some point this talent's going to pull us out of this because they kept they, they kept going to places like Stoke and you thought mm, we're better than Stoke we should go and win it and they couldn't they couldn't pull themselves out of it because it, once you're into that mentality of we're good enough we're out of it it's very hard to go back I see West Ham you know in that mentality that Newcastle were in in 2015 2016 this team have a mentality where they will dig in and I think they might draw on Saturday but you know they. It won't be for one to try, and I think even if they lose on Saturday, the team will keep fighting to the end. So I think there'll be hope right to the end. Whereas they only really had hope to the end in 2015-16 because Rafa basically knocked them into some sort of shape by the time they'd by the time they they was too late basically, wasn't the, it? Really? The, there's something interesting. This is slightly off Newcastle, but only only slightly. But something that I've kind of been thinking about in the last couple of weeks. You look at the teams who are in the bottom three at the minute and. 
bottom five, bottom six. They're all teams who have come up, established themselves, done something which in terms of their own history is impressive. So you look at Stoke, for example, who finished ninth three times under Mark Hughes, you know, after getting up under um, under Tony Pulis and so on and so forth. Swansea, who were the three in the bottom? So West Brom, another West good Brom. example. Stoke. Who, oh, so yeah, Stoke, yeah so. West Brom. And so they're teams who have got to a certain level. I mean, West Brom can't win a game since finishing 40th so incredibly early, mm. sorry, since getting 40 points incredibly early last season. And there was a point where this, that ceiling, you talk about how on earth do you get from, from finishing ninth to finishing seventh or sixth? And it's almost impossible for clubs like that. So how then do you refresh the momentum? How do you, how do you stand for something else? And Palace, they're another club who have come up and done well, brought in Pardew to try and play more expansive football and, you know, we'll play in a different... We'll so play. you said it's not funny, this podcast. That's why that made me laugh, Pardew to play more expansive <coughs> yeah, football. Yeah, but, yeah. But so, and they all tried to become something else. And, you know, I was at West Brom 10 days ago and you look at the team, it's like they've got no... They're a team who've completely and utterly been sucked into it this season because suddenly they don't know. And even when Pardew got appointed... He talked about, yeah, okay, well, the first thing I've got to do is stabilise things, but this is a club that's going mm. places. And they don't know who they are anymore, and they don't know what they are, and they don't know what they're trying to do. And Stoke, you know, absolutely, Southampton, South exactly the same. That they've had, they've had this time in the Premier League, but where do you find that motivation? Because really, finishing ninth, eighth, seventh, okay, great, but... So what? I mean, so what, really? Yeah. And Newcastle had this. It's so had, interesting. Had this, it's had, so, had this problem. It's so interesting what you say there, because we actually had a visit from the guys at the Stoke Sentinel, which is a, um, a centre f- that, that we have, and they came in and they said they, they were finding like a really unique pressure covering the club because the fans were basically saying to them that, you know, we are not ambitious enough, we're not pushing hard enough, we, sh- you know, we shouldn't be happy with being, um, you know, 10th, 11th, 13th, 14th. And they were saying that the board and their and the manager were absolutely furious with the Sentinel because they were basically trying to push this agenda where we should be more ambitious, we'd be pushing for more. And the the, the owner was basically saying, "We're Stoke City for yeah. the last 10, 15 years. We've been in the Premier League. That is, more, you know, yeah. how do you, how are you possibly telling us we should be doing more?" And that friction, yeah, um, I think has caused a lot of the problems that, are, that yeah. Stoke are finding at the moment. But but yeah, to, and to go back to what I said before. With Brighton and Huddersfield, there's only been one aim this season. They do not care about anything else, and that's not quite the same with Newcastle. Because getting back, you know, getting back into the Premier League was a source of relief as much as happiness and jubilation. And and then coming back into the Premier League, it's not as if every trip is a great surprise. It's a wonderful day out. It's you know, it's actually reacquainting yourself with something you're very very familiar with. So there's a very different mentality at the club and. You know, I think that's why Rafa has has done very well to do what he's done, and the team have done very well because they have been focused more or less. You know, they have, you know, they have realised they have kept their eyes on their eyes on the prize. It's just it's a very different. There's a very different kind of pressure behind Newcastle than there is between the other two. It's and not, less momentum. Yeah, it, it, and I think the big one of the big issues at Newcastle United that you really, you know, a lot of people have been talking about. Um, entertainment and, and, and actually enjoying watching the football and I think at Newcastle United for, the, for now for 13 months Newcastle United hasn't been fun it, I think when he didn't get what he needed in January Rafa made Newcastle dogged determined hard to beat and they then went through the end of last season and they really just dogged it out and it's been the same this season and 
Newcastle, I think where George's point earlier about Manchester United being a great day was, was right. And you were kind of looking around thinking, this, I don't recognise watching and covering Newcastle United as being fun at the moment because like there's so much stress and tension going into yeah. these home games. Brighton wasn't fun, Swansea wasn't fun, Saturday's not going to be fun, is it? Let's be horrible. They've got Huddersfield coming up. There's so much tension and stress and, you know, oh, well, we, we've got to be like... And, and it's just not fun at the moment for Newcastle United. And I think if you're trying to sell Newcastle United, it should be, you know, it should be fun. Last season wasn't fun. It, it was only fun when they beat Preston and then the final day, even that wasn't fun until they won the title on the final minute. Then suddenly you had this fantastic feeling. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, look, it's not the best analysis in the world, but it isn't fun to be a Newcastle United fan at the moment. But the people keep still turn, keep turning up. I was just going to say, I, I don't know if it's because I follow them, I obviously go to, to just about every single game, home and away, and I hear Rafa and see what he's trying to do. But I don't necessarily 100% agree with that I if I compare this to the season where they went down in McLaren, I almost—I don't know if it's just as a calm reassurance about Rafa where I just think everything's going to be all right this season in the end. But by about November, December stage of McLaren, I remember taking McLaren at one side. Oh, sorry, it was January because it Watford away, and he'd given me the same. For the way game said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and he just—he'd given the same answer over and over again about oh we'll win eventually and early then. I just I said, look, Steve, you've said the same thing week in week out. <laughs> You're gonna to have to say something different because first of all, I can't write it again, and second of all, it just isn't happening. Yeah. And and you just knew there was a point where you just felt the momentum's going against him here. And I, I may, and yes, it hasn't been fun. The the nine game winless run was a, a right slog, and it was very hard to cover them in that period. But then they won at West Ham, and, and the momentum came back. And there's just there is just and it, maybe it's because I, I see so much of him, and the, there's the aura of him in general, and, and the way that you, you you can see there's always a plan and what he's trying to do might not always work because the personnel isn't there or he might get th- certain things wrong but there always seems to be a method in what he's trying to do and I, that's why I've always felt they'll be all, it, I've always felt all the way through they'll just about be alright and I think that's that's Rafa being there but I agree 100% with that I've always felt that so I, I think I went on five live at the start of the season and Chris Waddle was on or something and I said oh I think they'll be alright he said well what do you base that on and I said well I'll base that on Rafa well and he kind of had didn't didn't have a go, but I mean my 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 analysis of it such as it is is exactly the same as you. Why will they be okay? Well, because of Rafa, yeah. because they've got they have definitely got the most qualified manager in the bottom half of the. But imagine the pressure that that puts on him, yeah. because he's got a lot of people saying the same thing, and he carries that he carries that pre- that pressure. So there is that he does give off that sense of reassurance, and he does give off. You know, I don't think they've got the. They haven't got. They haven't got the best players. They've got nowhere near the best players, and so we're kind of relying. You know, there's a lot of people relying on him. I think that does put a, put a big burden on him. Mm. So Castle, let me see if Chris, who are the three to go down? Uh, I've just done the predictor before, and I've forgotten who was in. Um, well, West Brom, uh, Stoke, and Southampton. That's who I said last week. I can't remember if was a predictor this time, but that, I think. I think it'll be those two. I think West Brom are just about gone. I think Southampton, they just look, they just don't look like they've got goals now. I know Newcastle have the same situation, but I just think that they, I think they're going to struggle. And this Saturday is going to be huge for that. And then Stoke, they had a small bounce under Lambert, but I think they they have the sort of personalities in their squad that Newcastle had two years ago when I saw you and Shaqiri when Newcastle beat them one nil at, at 
uh, whatever the stadium's called now, he was absolute disgrace in that game. And I know he scored a couple of times in recent weeks, but I just think they've got the wrong personalities, the players who think that they're going to be fine because they're good enough players, and I don't think they've got enough fight to, to steal. And George, your three? Um, yeah, I haven't thought about that in terms of sort of who's you know third bottom. I think West Brom. I think West Brom have gone. I've seen them, and I, and I just I just don't think there's anything there. Um, yeah, Stoke. Stoke's not looking good. And then you know the third, the third one. I don't know. I think Palace have got enough. Probably they've you know they've actually got a good record under Hodgson, mm-hmm. haven't they? Um, um, yeah, possibly. Possibly Southampton. I mean, I think that's why this week is, this weekend is so important. It's not just about getting three points. It's actually about inflicting damage on the other team. And the fact the next two games, that's why they're both so important. I don't think you can. I don't think you can sort of underestimate that at this point. Not just about getting points that move you up. It's about getting the points that keep other teams down. I mean, you're so it's a so whilst Man U was lovely and a wonderful occasion and a bonus. You know, it doesn't do doesn't do Man United any damage that we need to care, kind of care about. Whereas the points they get against Southampton have a chance to really dent. And the points they dropped against Bournemouth, for example, would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the record is is very. Good. You take out Bournemouth both home and away, and Huddersfield and Brighton away. Their record against teams in the bottom ten is very, very good, and they need to continue that through to the end of the season. Yeah. That was until they beat Man United. There hadn't been any team in the top ten. That is where they've got the majority of the points from, and they're going to have to get the majority of them from there as well because they're very unlikely to go to Spurs and get anything. They're probably unlikely to go to, to somewhere like Everton and get something just because the record they've got there. So they're, they're going to have to, as you'll say, the next two games are huge, and we can you can say that we're bigging it up as much as you want, but. They've got to the make. They've got to make life difficult for other teams. Yeah. That's you know, and that's in their hands. So, Mark, you are three to go down. I think that West Brom and Stoke. I think probably Stoke will go. And I actually think a team like West Ham could get drawn into it. Mm. West Ham hitting the bad kind of form at the wrong time, um, putting massive amounts of pressure on themselves. You know, Moyes had a bit of a bounce, but you know, that's a very testy kind of atmosphere to play in front of at home as well and you know you've got our question there their bottle when it comes down to it at, at home you know it feels like there's problems there their um, goal difference is taking a hammer as well because their goal difference was yeah. decent until two games ago it was just about the same as Newcastle's you know I mean they, they don't look to me like a team that are, that are kind of Southampton are the ones that I would be worried if I was a Southampton fan as well because they draw a lot of games and you know um, there's a kind of really intriguing subplot I think to this weekend which is the Benitez against Pellegrino, um, which you know Pellegrino's a bit of the apprentice. It could be it, that could be a kind of interesting thing, but I think you can see Pellegrino trying to do what Rafa's doing and not doing it as well. Um, but I, I think West Ham could get pulled into it. I think Swansea are going to be fine now because at home they're just really formidable, uh, and Newcastle be really glad that they've played them away from home already this season because they've really pulled themselves out of it. Um, I can't see. Huddersfield, I think, are going to be fine. I really do. I think they'll win their home games, and I think they'll be okay. Um, and they, they, they've just got something about them, Huddersfield. And George probably like said it. I think they're, you know, I know a lot of people say that they go down, but I never felt they would because they've got massive momentum. Um, and there's something about Wagner. I think he's a real 
he's the real deal, he knows what he's doing and he's going to have a massive future whether it's at Huddersfield or wherever. And there's a lot to be said for teams and clubs that have a have a plan and have an identity and all that kind of stuff and I know it's become one of those buzzwords like project and all that kind of stuff but they really, Huddersfield do have a, mm. you know, he has turned them into a, you know, you know exactly what you're going to get with them, they have a style of play, it's very effective and they've got fantastic atmosphere at home, everyone, again, everyone's pulling in the same direction so who are they playing this weekend? They've got a huge Swansea. game. Yeah, so they're playing Swansea. That'll be a fantastic occasion there. And, and you know, there'll be, not to say that there won't be sort of tension, but it'll be it'll be a positive sort of tension and they'll, they'll make it difficult for, they'll make it difficult for Swansea. And I suppose, you know, you know, you need Newcastle to sort of embrace that sort of same, same sort of thing and try and make it as raucous as, raucous as possible. And on to this weekend, obviously Southampton at home is a huge game, especially uh, given the fact that uh, a few teams won over the weekend, like Brighton. Um, Chris, I mean, just how big of a game do you mark it as? It's it's, it's huge. The, the fact that there's a three-week break after it for Newcastle makes it bigger than it would have been anyway. Yeah. The fact that the other teams, just about everyone, I think, plays the following weekend, and that quite a lot of teams are playing other teams in and around them. So, um they don't. We don't want to be in the bottom three or just about to drop in the bottom three going into that long a period because then the whole negativity around that sort of festers. Um, we've already said Newcastle are going to have to beat the teams in around them. Newcastle's home form wasn't great until the Man United game. But what I, what I wasn't used by was Benitez came out after the game on Saturday and he said we are going to attack them. And now he doesn't often say things like that. He was he's usually quite bold and just saying that I'll. Take the right approach. I think it'll be, and he said we're going to have it. I'd never expect any Rafa Benitez team to go out and be gung ho because he likes control, he likes discipline, he likes his team to be compact and to follow a game plan. But he seems to to believe you can have a go at Southampton, and that's exactly what they did down at St Mary's. They were unfortunate because they had a couple of silly mistakes, but the the way they took their goals down at St Mary's were good, and they, they exploited weaknesses in that Southampton side. And, I'm actually quite confident going into this one. I'm, I'm usually the biggest pessimist, but and so this is probably not good for anyone that I feel this optimism. But I, I, I am quite optimistic Great. going into this you game. You jinxed that. One. <laughs> yeah. Great, thanks. That's for his results like against Liverpool, Manchester. If you set up in a way to, to to play like Newcastle did and kind of maybe focus on the goal difference, it's only beneficial if you win these sort of games against Huddersfield, against like Southampton on Saturday. Yeah. But I mean, they just have to not panic. I mean, they. I mean, and they've done done that pretty well. I mean, we can build it up as much as we want, but you know, they have to. They have to kind of go out and do it. And you know, so loath to sort of say it's the biggest game of the season, but it is because it's the next one and it's in front of them and it's against direct opponents. So the concern is always the same as usual. Who's going to score the goals? Where does that come from? Where does the creativity come from? That's not something that the manager can solve. Um, so yeah, just have to kind of keep fingers crossed that they do it. I mean, I it won't be. I, I mean, I hope they do have a go. I hope they are. I hope they do sort of attack them and and sort of take the initiative. And I don't see any reason why they why they shouldn't. But yeah, it feels like a big one. Do you see him changing the formation at any point? Or do you um, think he'll start with one up front and kind no, of go with what he's? You'll start with that, yeah. Um, he might play Hayden as well because um, if Shelby's not playing because Hayden did quite well at their place you know Marino was I think not brilliant on, on Saturday Marino can obviously prompt things I mean there's not a lot of scope to change things is there I mean Newcastle have kind of got what they've got and you know they're going to have to 
they're just going to have to turn in the maximum performance. They'll probably play a little bit more like they did against Man United than they than um, recent weeks. But I, I was speaking with me and Lee did, did something yesterday, and we said, you know, if if as it was against Brighton, the team aren't. You know, it looks like they might concede in the final 10-15 minutes. It wouldn't surprise me if Rafa sort of shuts up shop a little bit and goes, do you know what, we'll take the point here. Because um, it is a little bit, it's that kind of game you just don't want to lose. No, they must not. They mustn't lose. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's when the they lost to Bournemouth earlier in the season, um, I mean, that was kind of what, injury time. Yeah, and too, yeah. it, had they drawn that game, you know, it would be very different. And it, it, it's that kind of... It's that kind of thing, isn't it, about Saturday? I, I know if they draw, people will be, you know, there'll be a lot of, you know, frantic kind of behaviour on Tyneside. It's, it, it, look, Newcastle United is an edgy football club and an edgy supporter base at the best of time. We're, you know, we all feel it. Um, and it, it doesn't play into... And they never make life easy themselves. No. So, <laughs> so we can all write the script because it, but, and it would be, a, but it would be, a, yeah, it would, as Chris said, it would be a very, very long three weeks if... If they don't get a positive mm. result, so you know, let's if they could, if they get a, if they if they win that game, it becomes a the mood music for three weeks becomes much more positive and much more. And it, what it actually does is give Rafa a chance to sort of work on the training pitch, and you know that's what that's what he's that's what he's brilliant at. So um, let's let's be let's be positive about it and and hope they do it. And just to pick up on the Marino point, I actually think that from being at the game itself on Saturday, I think Marino's come out with the game unfairly criticised because yes I didn't think he played particularly well but I saw a player out there who, who hasn't had much football recently but he tried to take the initiative of the game he was the one player in that team who you could see was trying to drive Newcastle forward his passing wasn't great but he was trying to, 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 to make Newcastle be positive in what they were trying to do and he didn't shy away from the ball even when it wasn't working he was asking for the ball again and I, that's the type of characters Newcastle are going to need that's obviously what Benitez has seen in him and yes it didn't work for him on Saturday but I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the team again on Saturday and, and be man of the match because he hasn't really since he's come back from this back injury he hasn't been the same player he was before but the talent is there and he, when Newcastle did play well early in the season he was a crucial part of that at times That's it in prediction Chris for Friday prediction 1-0 Newcastle and Southmark prediction 1-0 uh, George 7-0 Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> no. Fingers one, crossed 1-0 yeah, just, just uh, we asked for a few questions earlier I've yes. asked it for my cap um, and most of them were for George which I think probably tells you uh, a lot about how bored people are of hearing me go um, 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 every week um, so uh, can I ask can I take the, the, am I right to, to throw a couple at George a lot about Amanda Stavely um, just asking where she's gone how it was meeting her so <laughs> where she's could, gone yeah where, where she's gone because obviously it's been it's been very quiet on that front um, and people just sort of kind of saying as somebody who's met her done the interview which was Excellent work. Um, what's your kind of take on her situation? There? So, where has she gone? Well, I mean, nowhere. I mean, she has gone places, as I'm told. But um, I think the first thing to say, and I'll probably say this at the end as well, because I think it's almost the most important thing to say, is that um, it needs a bit of silence now. This the, the, the takeover thing. Not that the need for a takeover has disappeared. I think Newcastle remain a club absolutely desperate for new direction and new ownership. I'm not saying that that means it should be her, by the way, but it absolutely is. However, the really, the only thing that matters at the minute is getting to the end of the season and Newcastle still being a Premier League club. So that's the first thing to say, and I think the focus should be 100% on that from 
you know, it's, it's not necessarily the best thing to say as a journalist to say we shouldn't be writing stories or whatever. But I think I think there comes a point where you have to recognise that they just have to get on with it on the pitch and all the focus should, should sort of be on that. That said, she hasn't gone away. My understanding hasn't changed since the day that I met her, which was that I think there will be another bid. Um, and the the reason why it's no longer such a sort of pressing issue, I suppose, is because the moment for her to be able to change anything directly at the club was gone as soon as it drifted beyond January. Mm. So there was nothing that she could do at that point. Um, and the next chance to do something is at the end of the window. So, sorry, is at the end of the season. Um, I, you know, I, do I think that... Um, so, I, I mean, I think the next day, step is that there would be another bid. I think she's still committed to doing that. That's my understanding. But I don't think there's anything sort of... I don't think there's anything sort of official going on. I don't think there's anything... Um, you know, I don't think there's anything sort of massive happening in, in terms of in terms of that. And I think in some ways I'm reluctant to even sort of talk about it mm. because it you know, I don't want I, I think what Ashley probably wants is for it to happen on the quiet. And I think probably what she needs to happen is for it to happen on the quiet mm. and they get on with it. Because clearly what happened last time, although, you know, whatever you think about the statement that came out from a source close to Ashley in inverted commas that went on to Sky the public nature of it wasn't doing anybody any favours. So, um, what I, so I think what will happen is Newcastle probably get safe with a bit of luck, and then and then and then there would be another bid, and they try and do it. I, I think she would be interested if Newcastle go down. I think that's something that isn't necessarily spoken about a lot, um, but of course the valuation of the club mm. would completely change. Um, in the meantime, I mean, there's some, been some interesting stuff that's gone on. I'm not saying that this has been happening sort of recently, but she has done, she has done sort of beyond the due diligence in terms of the money side of it. She has spoken to people up here. She's spoken to politicians. She's spoken to businesses. She's spoken to fans groups. She's spoken to, um, you know, to others around the city, and she has been thinking about what it might mean in terms of the. Academy. She's been thinking about what it might mean in terms of training ground and things like that. So, and I've got evidence of things like that. So I'm kind of heartened by things like that. Um, but I think I think we're in a period of, of really just waiting until, you know, waiting until we get to the end of the season or waiting until Newcastle's position is secure. It's basically. really interesting because when when all this was going on, somebody told me that you talk about the due diligence there, that how deep the due diligence had gone was that she'd spoken to. You know, like for example, the Newcastle Falcons had had there'd been some contact from her group with, with them, which I thought was, you know, put a bit of a fresh light on it that this wasn't a uh, this wasn't a kind of and I know she'd been accused of doing it for publicity or what have you, but it, that seems a strange thing for me to for, for her to do for somebody who's wants to be seen to be buying a football club. I mean, I wouldn't. Well, for someone who was dismissed as a time waster, she's wasted a lot of her own time. Yeah, precisely. I mean, precisely. if if that's the case, so. Yeah, all of that stuff is very reassuring. And the other side of it, and this is the sort of more difficult side of it, we, we Mike Ashley owns Sports Direct, so and he owns Newcastle. So we've got 10 years of Newcastle to base our judgment on, and we've got 
his ownership of, of Sports Direct to know what his worth is and also his working practice at Sports Direct. So we can judge him on quite a lot of stuff that's in the public domain. In terms of her, it's very, very difficult to say this is what she's done in the past, this is how many people she employs, this is how much money she's worth, and therefore, dot, 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 when it comes to Newcastle. We can't do that. And David Conn in The Guardian has, 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 has attempted to do that and has written some kind of quite interesting stuff. But none of it is, we, you know, we're, we're not able to make judgments on her because, and that piece that I did with her, for someone who wants publicity, she doesn't speak very often in public. So there's not a lot to base opinions on what might happen. So really what she has to do is buy a football club. Yeah. <laughs> and then we can start judging her. Yeah. Um, and until she buys a football club, she will get dismissed because there's been what's happened at Newcastle, there's been what's happened at, at Liverpool. And so, you know, it is up to her. There is, you know, there's also... You know, I, I mean, I can only imagine how difficult it is to deal with Ashley. Um, you know, in in this in this sense and in every other sense. But um, you know, my and I mean, I suppose the other thing to say is that as far as her people are concerned, is there's still nobody else in the running, no. nobody else serious in the running. No. So there's been a lot of you know talk and whisper and stuff like that. But in terms of serious bidders for the club, I don't see it. No. So I think that's where we are. I mean, as I say, what I, what I would, I'm kind of reluctant to talk about it only because I don't want to be contributing to kicking off more speculation about what she's doing. I mean, I don't think there's anything, I don't think there's anything material happening at the moment beyond a vague sense that she still still wants to do it and I think something I think there will be another bit the, the TV deal the um, has probably played a little bit into our hands as well obviously I, I completely agree with George that, that it, it, it has to be a little bit of focus on, on football at the moment but I think the mood music around the bid will will I my personal feeling is that it will change at the end of the season because they've had another close shave if they stay up they've had another very very close shave um, the TV deal has not been the doesn't change the picture doesn't take doesn't change no. the picture substantially. It doesn't it? because no. because I think they were hoping that there would be um, some form of a Netflix or an Amazon or somebody one of these giants, but they haven't bitten those those companies haven't bitten. They're now more and more reliant on this global um, TV deal, which is completely and utterly weighted in the favour of the top four, which are the, who the foreign fans want to see, which doesn't that doesn't do anything for Newcastle. In fact, it makes it harder for Newcastle because at some point those clubs are going to agitate for a bigger slice of that. There's no way long-term that Mike Ashley can make Newcastle United work. And I think that he knows that. Strategically, he knows that. And, and I think he's trying to keep it going for as long as he can. To try, I mean, well, I know this from speaking to somebody who has worked on the selling side of Newcastle who said that Mike Ashley's biggest hope with this whole process is to kick off a, a, a bidding war for Newcastle United. Which just hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. He yeah. wanted to, that was why Sky had that early leak of this Chinese interest, which was just not accurate, I don't think. Just to say it in a puff of smoke. Funny that. Well, and what really was frustrating about that was that that, that, that was, the, they said there's Chinese interest, and actually on the ground, if you spoke to people who knew about Chinese football, they said, well, actually, the mood music over there it's is changing, and, yes, it's, it's completely and we've seen that over there. But yeah, it was used to try and kick off this bidding war, which hasn't happened. So, really, he's got two choices at the end of the season, and um, you know, the, the the choice to stay with it 
is you know I don't see how that benefits anybody I don't see how it benefits him it, you know probably lose Rafa and you know, it doesn't. It doesn't go any further. What do you think attracts her to the club? This is the, the fans, the passion, Benitez, or, or just the whole potential, the whole package in itself. Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, it's very interesting that Benitez's future was absolutely one hundred percent tied in with all those bids that, you know, um, getting him attached to a to a, a, a new deal was absolutely paramount to all to all that. So he is seen absolutely as integral to it, and I don't think they'd be bidding without him there. That's one thing. Um, I think, I mean, it would be an investment. I mean, I think that's the, you know, it's it's not not it's not charitable. It's not the same as it's not the same as Man City being taken over for kind of for the glory of another country. It's it would be an investment, and it would be about running it as a business. I don't have a concern about that. I mean. It'd be great if it was being run as a charity, but I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the business model, which is the idea that Newcastle becomes worth more money because if Newcastle is worth more money, it's because they're being successful. And the point at the minute is that Ashley has got the business to a state where it is by and large ticking over, but it's ticking over having been stripped right back to the bone. When Newcastle got relegated, they didn't have to do the thing that Sunderland have just had to do and sack 80, 90 people because there was no one left to sack effectively. Um, so it's been stripped right back to the bone. All the kind of internal businesses have been outsourced and things like that. And it's not making money commercially or, or, or stuff like that. Well, there's a lot of potential there at a club that has the size, the fan base it has. There's a lot of potential to monetize that, to use that horrible phrase. And there's, but there's a you know there's potential to monetize the academy to get the academy firing again and producing players and then if they're not quite good enough to get into Newcastle's team to sell those players get that ticking over get all aspects of the business ticking over it brings more money in you sign better players you finish further up the league you get more TV games and so you know that's the idea I mean that's the idea and then ten years down the line you can sell the club and you've made some money I mean. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that as a as a as a as a business model because at the moment it's not being run as a business. It's just been stripped back. And what and what I think is what really interesting about what George is saying there and about the, the idea of um, running it as a business is that when people have been one of the things that people have said is why doesn't she just pay the money? Why doesn't she just up her bid by one hundred million or whatever? Well, actually, when you look at the finances and the way that Newcastle has been run, um, you have a company called Sodexo that run the catering. Now that's an outsourcing company. Now I believe there's another couple of years left on that deal. There's a few years left on the Puma deal uh, that Newcastle have. So actually, she has worked out. She's done the very, very deep due diligence that is required to do a business like this, and worked out that actually those things can only be changed in a couple of years' time. You know, the, the, there is a lot of long-term contracts that Newcastle are locked into. So you can make money off some of these things, but not for another few years because. They've just signed a new sponsorship deal with Fun88, so that's got another few years to run. So actually, you know, there is the possibility to make money in Newcastle United, but it's not going to be for a while. It's going to, you're probably going to rack up and a couple it, of years of. And he was demanding that Sports Direct, you know, advertising remains in the stadium for a, for a for a period as well. So I think no, I mean, I, and any money that you're then giving to Ashley means that you can't use that to to invest in the team, and. I do want. I absolutely get people saying, "Oh, just please pay the money. Let's get this over. You know, just start again and get it this over with." But it's not worked out. I mean, you know, 
who is to say that his valuation is right? I mean, f fair enough, it's his valuation, it's his club, he owns it. But if everything around you is, is telling you, after having done all that due diligence, that it's not worth that. I mean, her, her argument was, when I went to see her, her argument was, so when at that time the thought was that he kind of valued it around you know, 350 or certainly over 300. It can be worth that, mm. but it's, it's, it's like buying a house and finding there's no roof on or there's no foundations need to be doing or, you know, whatever it is, it'll take investment to get it to, 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 to get to that point. And that Newcastle has been starved of underinvestment. We see the stadium, we see the stadium full, we, you know, look at St James's in the middle of the city and we think, we still, we are programmed to think of Newcastle as a big football club. Ashley has not spent, a, well, okay, I won't say he's not spent a penny. He's not had to invest in the stadium. He's not invested in any meaningful sense in the training on the training ground. The academy um, needs complete reworking, and he's been very lucky that that he's not had to kind of spend an infrastructure like that. But it needs it. It really needs it. I was I was at the sports journalism awards last the other week, and um, how did that go? Uh, not well. Um, but uh, no, it, it, uh, yeah, no, not 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 well. Um, you got commended, so that's uh, you've, been, commended. You've, you've been very yeah, you've been very yeah, modest. But it was the um, yeah, it was was it the uh, Simpsons thing where it said second comes right after first, which is my <laughs> uh, attitude to that. But uh, but there was a guy there who used to cover northeast football, and he said that he's now in the south, and he said that he'd been to. Brighton's training ground. Oh, I've, been been to, Brighton. I've been to Brighton. Yeah, he said been to Bournemouth have just put in plans for this new training yeah, ground. One, yeah. Huddersfield he'd been to and he said all of these all of these clubs, if you took a player to Brighton's training ground and then you took them to Newcastle's training ground, he said you would think like which is the which is the bigger club? Brian's is extraordinary. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. And that's I mean that's I suppose that's the other side of it when talking about a club all being Going at it in the same direction. I mean, the the, the train. I mean, obviously they've got a, a lovely stadium now as well. But the the training ground is is beautiful. The number of outside pitch, outdoor pitches they've got, they've got a mini little stadium outside. You know, and it and in the middle it's all joined up. Everything's joined up. So you've got the first team and the uh, and the academy and the women's team and stuff like that. And it's, it just feels like home. It feels like somewhere where you can do business. It feels professional. It feels. Um, light and airy, somewhere conducive to to sort of excellence. And you go to Newcastle's training ground and it's you know, Rafa's Rafa's kind of given it a look of paint and stuff like that, but it just doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same feeling to it. And it should be, you know, you look at Middlesbrough's training ground which is now kind of comparatively old, but it's still so much better than Newcastle. The Sunderland where they are on the table, their training ground is brilliant. Yeah. Newcastle are miles behind. It's, it's funny because in Paul Ferris's book, which I would definitely recommend people read, um, he says actually in the Bobby era, um, the, the training ground wasn't good enough then. He said that there was there was periods where he was doing because he, he goes through the, the rehabilitation of Alan, Alan Shearer, and he said you know he had to mix it up with Alan Shearer because basically the training ground was very it was still basic then. Um, and now you're imagining all the advances in sports science since then, and Newcastle are still kind of with the same facilities that they had then. And you know, you, you're dealing with top level athletes here. It's not, they, it's not bespoke. It's not bespoke. It's not you know. It's not built. It's not built for purpose, and it's really only barely fit for purpose. Yeah, I mean, you last know. you know, it's a great example. Last week they've got, you know, you have a bit of snow at Newcastle, and they're going inside to the training barn, which. There's always been concerns about that training barn, whether it's good on players' knees and things. 
and um, you know they can't they can't so there's some players last week who can't train as hard um, well Shelby obviously wasn't involved last week you, couldn't, you know they can't you can't train on that pitch but it snows in the northeast. the weather is terrible and they've, think, and, yeah, yeah. And they've, they've constantly put it off and put it off and put it off and that's the kind of that's the you know that's the sort of outrage of it really and we're living in an era where we're constantly being told that players won't come up to the North East and things like that. Well, let's make it a bit easier for them. Mm. You know, you should be able to take them to St James's Park and say, why on earth wouldn't you want to be able, you know, why wouldn't you want to play here in front of these people, right here in the middle of this great city, why wouldn't you want to, do? but then take them to the training ground and say, and we've got the best facilities mm. in the Premier League, or they're right up there. Why not? Yeah. Well, Joel Kinnear you know. announced plans didn't he and then they've yeah. been put off indefinitely and now I think they just isn't, they don't even give you an answer and the, the, the answer on that one I think at the last fans forum was that um, that Rafa that they put it to Rafa and he'd said I'd rather the money went into the transfer market now imagine going to a manager like Rafa Benitez and saying you can either have the transfer you can either have the transfer funds or you can have the training ground I mean it's just ridiculous imagine, I mean, imagine being a club that can't do two things at once it's, it's absolutely outrageous I mean you know I hate to go into it, but you know, Manchester City basically have a university on site. Not incredible, Man City. And you know Newcastle are in the same division as them. And five or six years ago, okay, a lot's changed at Manchester City, but um, you know they, they haven't even got the benefit now of the stadium being. Um, I mean, the stadium's fantastic, and because it's in the city centre, it's got this unique thing, and because the atmosphere is really good. But they, but now Tottenham are getting a new stadium that's going to be bigger than Newcastle's. West Ham have a bigger stadium. Everton are going to get a bigger stadium. All of the kind of traditional advantages. If you stand still in this era in the Premier League, where there's all this money, other clubs, Burnley are building this infrastructure. Sean Dyche has decided he wants to spend some of the money that's coming in on infrastructure at Burnley, so they can be a Premier League club. Huddersfield are doing it. All these clubs are thinking bigger than they are, and Newcastle are kind of like almost going in on themselves. And you just think like it, it's you know this era of largesse isn't going to last forever. It's you know at some point the TV deal is probably going to go a little bit even further back because you know the recession, Brexit, whatever, whatever, what have you. So this is the opportunity now. So really, Mike Ashley has to to back up what he said in the interview with David Craig, where he said if somebody comes in with money, I will sell to them if they're making a realistic offer and walk away so that they can do what they want to do. And it's not a case of asking him to do something for the good of his health. It's basically saying, you can't take this any further. You can't make any more money out of it. Okay, Sports Director will get a bit of a shine off the back of it, but not in the Championship, which is where they're going to be. You know, they can, they can do this this year, but it, it can't happen every year. We've seen it because they went down. They stayed up on the final day of the season under Carver, then went down the following season. So they could stay up this season, and then if they have to go with the same players and a different manager or they're going to go down next season or the season after you know he must know that and like you said at the start of the podcast um, you know difficult second guessing just one final question George on Man of Safety after the, the kind of statement the suggestion she was a time waste and my gosh she said you know that's it no more negotiations do you think they've gone back and had a their people have gone back and had a bit of communication or do you think it's been left to one side left to cool a bit and see where we're at in the summer uh, I think more the latter than the former yeah I don't think there's been direct Direct Do you think she was being offended by the suggestion that she was? She was offended by that, which is why she wanted to do something. I think that, well, that, why that turned out to be doing something. I think the first response was that she had to kind of protect her reputation a little bit. Um, but as I say, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure she's aware of this, that, you know, really the way that she answers all that is by buying the club or by buying another football club. And I... From what she says, you know, she will buy a football club. If it's not Newcastle, it'll be somewhere. It'll be 
it'll be somewhere else. So, um, but uh, no, I don't. Think, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything sort of direct, direct going on. But I don't think that's. I don't think that's necessarily a source. Should be should be a source of disappointment or concern at this point. I think it's just they need to let it lie. Fingers crossed. Something can uh, can happen. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you for coming in, George. It's been a pleasure. If you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast, whether that be through iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at ChronicleNUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, ChronicleNUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedbacks. Why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?